0: Someone once asked me, Pastor John, why don't you talk about the devil? I'm going to tell you why I don't talk about the devil. You take a 17-year-old war. You take nuclear threats. You take all the political division, brother against brother, Family against family. You take terrorist attacks. You take a guy who goes off, kills 58 people, hundreds, hundreds more at a concert. You take cancer. You take children suffering, children being sold into slavery. You take sex trafficking. You take gun violence. You take families being torn apart by divorce, by infidelity and by addiction. Need I go on? Well, I'm going to you take child abuse, you take cartels, mafias, gangs, you take racism, sexism, ageism, you take gossip, you take poverty and you realize you don't need me to talk about the devil because you got a TV. You are very much well acquainted with the devil, aren't you? Aren't we? And so that when we gather here in this place, in the name of God, I'm not going to here and talk about the devil, because we know what the devil's like. I'm convinced that more and more of us need to be reminded of just how good God still is. That when we come here, we're not going to talk about the devil. We're going to talk about the goodness of God. We're going to talk about the power of God. When you come and sit your pretty self in that pretty pew and listen to this pretty face. You're going to hear about the faithfulness of God. Because that's what we need to hear. We need to be reminded of who God is. We need to remember That God's way is still our way and that God's way is and will always be better than any other way. Y'all with me? I talk about God and God only so much because for so many people, it feels like to them God isn't doing too much. It feels like God is quiet. It feels like God isn't active. And that even though we say we believe differently, sometimes it feels like God is on hiatus somewhere. Why? Well,. 17-year-old war, nuclear threats, political animosity, terror attacks, a guy kills 58 people, wounds hundreds more to concert. There's cancer, there's child suffering, uh, child slavery, sex trafficking, gun violence, family torn apart by divorce, infidelity, and addiction. There's child abuse, cartels, mafias, gangs, racism, sexism, ageism, guys of poverty, and all even the little things that happen to me. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes it feels like. God's not there. I understand that feeling, sisters and brothers. I want you to appreciate that, that I understand that. But I am very much convinced that God hasn't gone anywhere. That God has not forsaken us. God has not left us. Let me rephrase that. God has not forsaken you. God has not left you. And so when we come here... We just have to remember what we know God has already done and remember our trust in what we know God will continue to do. In fact, I think part of what we have to do is learn to see better. Or maybe we have to learn to seek better. Here's what I mean. The more you seek God, the more you see God. Let me repeat that. The more you seek God the more you will see God. So there's a responsibility that you have as well, right? That you have to be willing to seek the things of God, to seek the presence of God, to seek out what God is doing. And sisters and brothers, as you seek out what God is doing, you are going to see God. The more you seek, the more you see. The more you seek, the more you see, and the more you want God to be seen. The more that you say, no, 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 All that stuff around me, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to seek after God. The more you do that, the more you're able to see what God is doing around you. And then as you see more and more and more of the hand of God around your life and around the life of your loved ones and your community, when you can see what God is doing, you sit back and say, man, this is an awesome feeling. This is a great thing to know that God has not forsaken us. And the more you seek and see that, then the more you say... I want somebody else to see that too. I want God to be seen by other people too. I want God to be seen by my neighbor, even my neighbor, maybe even especially my neighbor. Y'all with me? Let me ask you a question. Do you think Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had a problem seeking God? I'm going to suggest to you that no, they did not, that they had no problem seeking God. It was their understanding of who God is and what God was able to do that gave them the gall, that gave them the confidence to tell the king, look here, brother. You may have convinced everybody else to bow down and worship this huge statue. And you may have threatened anybody who doesn't. But you need to understand, we're not going to do it. Now, how in the world could they have that kind of confidence, that kind of gall, unless they were seeking God? Unless they knew something about God that the king didn't or that anybody else there didn't know. I think it was their understanding of the power of God that gave them the faith and the ability to say, no, we're not doing that. You're not going to make us do that. And, of course, that's what we that's what we started last week. We talked about the power of our worship. It's not it's not just a place or a time. It's 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 about a matter of the heart and a willingness to worship God no matter what. So we picked up that first part of the story, and we remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar had just told the three men, Rakshak and Benny, that, look, okay, I see you're not doing this. Well, here's the deal. The next time the alarm goes off, the next time everybody else bows down and worships the statue and worships me, I want you to do that too. You didn't do it before. Okay, that's fine. But I want you to do it this time. If you don't, you see that big oven over there? That's where you're going. Some of y'all that work in our kitchen, you know how hot it is in there? Ain't got nothing compared to this, apparently. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, look, we don't have a defense for you. We're just not going to do it. And so where we pick up the story today, they tell the king, we're not going to worship you. We're not going to worship your statue. If God saves us, we know God can. If God doesn't, we're still not going to do it. And so the king is furious. Oh, the text says his face is distorted. Have you ever been that angry at something that your face gets distorted? Now, I don't know what it means. I mean, I can just kind of guess. You know, I don't I don't know. But he's so angry. You can see it in his face. He's so angry. You could probably see that little that little vein right here. And he's probably foaming at the mouth and the neck's popping out and everything else. He's so angry. You see it in his face. He's so angry. He says, you know how hot it is? Now it's fixed to be seven times hotter. And he orders that they be thrown in. So what's interesting is they've said, well, we have no defense for you. We're going to do it. I mean, that's fine. We're going to doze in the fire. But he's so angry, he finds the biggest men that he has, the strongest men that he has to tie and bound up these three men who haven't put up a fight at all. Just as they are with their clothes on, with, with everything, apparently in other circumstances, he would have made them take off all their clothes before he threw them in. That's the decent thing to do, I guess. But he's so angry this time, he says, no, the biggest bouncer we have, you come here, you bind them up right now, and you throw them in. And that's what happens, apparently. You have these three men who have worshipped God, who have told the king, I'm not going to do it. What you could say is that in some way they are being faithful to who they are as people of God. Right? Is that a, is that a fair assessment? And so, because they're being faithful to God, they can't be faithful to what this king wants them to do, and it's cost them something. That's a sermon in and of itself, sisters and brothers, that our faith costs us something sometimes. And if it doesn't, who are we serving? Let me ask you another question. Do you think Rakshak and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you think they had a problem seeing God in the furnace? A little tougher question. You know, we can praise God here, and I can talk about the goodness of God here, but man, as soon as I walk out that door, it gets a little tough. And I can't imagine if I walked out and it's seven times tougher, seven times tougher than it usually is. But the text says. They were thrown in, and then something crazy happens. Now, I want you to appreciate this. text says they were thrown in. It was so hot that the people who were throwing in, those people caught on fire and died. Right? It's it's okay that you laugh because I really think it's a comical story. I think that's a part of the story sometimes we gloss over. This is like a great comic story. It is so hot that the people who are throwing, the people who are supposed to burn up, they get burned up. But the people they throw in don't get burned up. But if you look at how the story was read, the king isn't impressed with that, apparently. That doesn't seem to catch his attention. I mean, I would think if I'm standing there and I throw the choir into the fire... I would think that the people who were throwing in, if they were catching fire, would be like, whoa, and then you threw the choir in, the choir, they singing their song, they're not burning up. I would think that I would notice that. But if pay attention. The king isn't astonished by that. You know what he's astonished by? He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. One, two. And he looks at his people, he says, were not there three people that we threw in here? Yeah, three people. Look, I have their name right here and everything. We, you know, we got their tithe and they're ready to go. So we got it before they got in. So yeah, they're gone. So there were three people that we put in. Why do I see a fourth person in there with them? He wasn't astonished that they weren't burning up. He's astonished. Wait a minute. They should be in there alone. But there's somebody in there with them. So a while ago, you affirmed. That it was the faithfulness of these three young men as people of God, that it was their faithfulness that kept them from serving the king to worshiping the king, worshiping this idol. It was their faithfulness in God that was important. You affirm that. So what I'm going to say now is. Now that we see they've been thrown in, now that we see that the king has been astonished because even though they're bound, even though uh, I threatened them, uh, even though everybody else burned up when we threw them in there, uh, we threw three people in there, but now I'm seeing somebody else. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that the church, we've talked about this for thousands of years, who is that other person in there with them? Is it the janitor? <laughs> is it an angel? Is it God? The church says it's Jesus? We don't quite know, but here's what we know. It had, had to have to do something with God. God had to be there. And so what, Nicod- excuse me, what uh, Nebuchadnezzar is astonished by is as he sees these three men that he put in there, now he doesn't just see the three men, he sees God. And he sees God, stay with me, through the faithfulness of these three men. See what happens when you and I remain faithful. People see God. Now you replace, you replace their names with your name. And instead of Nebuchadnezzar, you put in your neighbor, you put in your boss. I don't know, maybe you need to put in your husband. I don't know, right? <laughs> but when you stay faithful to God... And who you are and what you do. Who is seeing God through you? I think it's a powerful reminder of this story. This isn't just a cute children's story. One we learned in Sunday school. I think it's a story that says to us. Who you are as people of God matters. That who you are on Monday matters. Might be more important than who you are right here, right now on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Come on and praise God on Sunday, but then go to the store and act like a jerk on Monday to the cashier. Something don't add up there. Y'all with me? See, your witness is how people see God. Your witness is how people will come to know who God is. Jesus before He leaves the final time with his disciples. He says, go and wait. And he says, you will be my witnesses throughout the world. You will be my witnesses. Now, I believe Jesus. And so if Jesus says, I will be and you will be his witnesses, you know what that means? We are his witnesses. As we live faithful to God. Others begin to see someone else with us. They begin to see God. Somewhere along the line, we have forgotten what we call the priesthood of all believers. Some of you know that phrase. And what the priesthood of all believers means is that all of us are priests. You know, and, and the way ministry is today, we've kind of gotten away from it. You know, we hired a professional to do all the priest stuff. And she or he, he is the one that's supposed to do all the special prayers. And they're the one that's supposed to run stuff. They're the one that's supposed to make sure the bulletins get done. They're the one that's supposed to clean the carpet. They're the one that's supposed to do all this kind of stuff. And we just get to live our life how we want to Monday through Saturday. The priesthood of all believers reminds us that, no, <laughs> all of us have a calling from God to live faithful to God in all we do. So I'm going to share something with you. Considering this idea of the priesthood of all believers, Barbara Brown Taylor has these words. The first thing to say is that a priest is a representative person who walks the shifting boundary between heaven and earth, representing God to humankind and representing humankind to God and serving each other in the other's name. Are you all with me? It is not possible to exercise such priesthood without participating in Christ's own, which means there are no entrepreneurs in ministry, only partners. Pursuing that vocation, priests are likely to wear a hundred different hats, social worker, chauffeur, cook. Financial advisor, community organizer, babysitter, philanthropist, marriage counselor, cheerleader, or friend. But whatever hat they happened to be wearing at the time, priests remember that they were it as God's person for God's sake and God's name. So I want you to repeat this after me. I am God's person. For God's sake in God's name. That's who you are. That's who you are, sisters and brothers. You are God's person for God's sake in God's name. And you remember that next time you're at the grocery store. You need to remember that next time you're stuck behind somebody who let you know a millisecond pass by before they go on the green light. And you get all upset. You need to remember who you are and who you're representing. You see, Sunday morning when we come together, this isn't some sweet diversion from the real world. This isn't some way to escape everything that's going on, to say, "Ooh, well, at least I can be happy here. We aren't here to play church. I'm not here to play church. I don't know about you. But as it stands, as disciples of Christ, we aren't here to play church. In part, what we are here to do is be to be reminded of the goodness, the power and the forgiving grace of God. And that now that we have experienced all those things once again, we are ready to leave, to walk out those doors or that doors, to sneak out the back way. We are ready now to be witnesses again to the world. To show the world, not just through what we say, but through what we do, the way we treat each other, our ethic, the way we work—all these things become a witness to who God is. So we come here to be renewed and to be ready. Gets on my nerves when I hear people say, "Well, them people just need Jesus." Man, people, hey, man, they messed up. They need Jesus. Here's the deal: we all need Jesus. But if you and I, as a church, we aren't willing to give them Jesus, then be quiet. Stop complaining. Stop talking about how bad they are. Stop talking about how they look. Stop talking about what they need to do. If you're going to say they need Jesus, but you ain't giving them Jesus, and throw it into the fiery furnace, please. Y'all with me? Bishop Matthews, who's since passed, is a great witness to our church, United Methodist Church. He's a great missionary, Uh, was a son-in-law to um, E. Stanley Jones, if you know that name. Uh, Just a a great man of faith who did a lot of good work. I remember reading his biography. He he talked about someone that he knew. Someone that he knew that did a whole lot with his life. Knew a lot of famous people. A lot of people who had done a lot of good things. He himself had been a part of a lot of uh, big projects. And that, you know, just as common knowledge is, he'd be the kind of person that you talk to. And if, if they just want to sit down and talk about all the people they know and talk about all the things that, they, that you'd give them a pass and let them do it because they've done that much. And they know that many people. But I remember, bishop, the bishop says this person, he never name dropped anybody. He never told you who he knew. He never told you what he did. (laughs) The only name he ever dropped. Was Jesus. The only name he cared that you knew that he knew. Was Jesus. Let me ask you another question. Are you a Jesus name dropper? I hope so. Because just as much as you see the devil's work, so does your neighbor. So does your coworker, So do our kid, kids who are being raised seeing all these things happen. And you or anybody else, you don't need me to remind you of what the devil is doing. And you don't even need to remind everybody what the devil is doing. What you and I need to be ready to do is to be willing to seek and to see God's work. And to allow God to be seen through us. You see, sisters and brothers, the world is watching us. I hope you understand that. And a lot of times people get off huffy and puffy about that. Well, it's not fair. They shouldn't be. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe they hold us to a different standard. Maybe that's true. But so did Jesus. Hello. Jesus holds us to a different standard. You know that, right? You you know that, right? You know, God says you're supposed to be the light in darkness. You know what that's called? A higher standard. So sometimes we say, well, people look at us and they shouldn't be judging. Well, maybe you're right, they shouldn't be, but they are watching us. And instead of seeing it as, a, mm, 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 see it as an opportunity. Because you know who King Nebuchadnezzar was watching? He was watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know what else he saw as he was watching them? He saw God. So you know what? Let them watch you, let them watch what you say, let them watch what you do, let them. Uh, Watch what is important to your life. And as they watch you, let them see God. Now, if they're watching you and they're not seeing God. Thank God there's forgiveness. But may it be today. May it be today. that we take the opportunity to show the world the love of God. Amen? Amen.